Well, if you will take your Bibles once more and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Our text for today is a little lengthy. It's verses 22 through 56 of Luke, chapter 8. We've been making our way through this pretty much most of this year, and uh, next week we're going to take a bit of a break. We're going to do a new, uh, start a new series next week, about a five to six week series called A Peculiar People. We're going to be considering several things uh, about our lives, our witness, and our corporate witness uh, as Christians and as the church of what that means living in, in this world and how distinct we are called to be, just as Pastor Jeremy prayed for. Uh, so that's beginning next Sunday uh, in tandem with us going back indoors. At what time? 10.30. Very good. Just making sure you're still hanging in there with me on that. So next Sunday, 10.30, inside, we'll be starting a new series that will run us through the month of August into the first Sunday of September, and then back to Luke we go. Uh, so yes, Luke chapter 8. Um, Luke chapter 8. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help. Father, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you that it is true and trustworthy. And Lord, we not only learn about you from it, we are changed by it. We are transformed. We are conformed into the image of Christ through these words as you bring them to life in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have together. Use this time in our lives for our good and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have made our way through chapter 8, we know that Jesus has emphasized the need for proper hearing. Talked about that last week, and even in the week before that, and as Jeremy looked at the parable of the sower with us, the importance of hearing, receiving, responding to God's word. And the text that we have today is a series of different miracles, it's a, what some call a trilogy of miraculous accounts that reinforce the why behind the believing. So in previous weeks, we know that we have either been directly or indirectly called to trust in Christ, to believe, to receive, to hear his word. He, remember, he highlights the good soil where the seed falls on it and it takes root and it produces fruit. That's the kind of hearer we want to be. That's the kind of hearer that we've been exhorted to be. And now as we continue out through the rest of this chapter, through this trilogy of miraculous accounts, a calming of a storm, a man with a demon, a healing, and even a resurrection, we see how God, through through Luke, is, is recording for us these events in the ministry of Jesus to reinforce why we must respond to Jesus in faith. And namely, it's because of his power and authority over all areas of life. Now, we could certainly take each of these miracles on their own and dive deeper into each of them and see lots of different things from them. Yet, it seems that Luke has recorded them here in the manner in which he placed them as a unit, as a group to show the scope of Christ's authority. And so we're going to take them together this morning. We're going to parse through them a bit and see how each one points to a different aspect of the authority of Christ. But we're going to kind of see them together this morning um, as the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to not only write them, record them, but to record them in order in which he did. 
really the big takeaway from our text today is that our faith and our hope must be firmly rooted in Jesus because he is the one and only authority over all things. And as we consider these various miracle accounts this morning, we're going to see four areas of which Christ extends his authority, and then we're going to draw some points of application at the end. Four areas in which the authority of Christ extends and then application at the end. The first area that we see his authority is the, his authority over creation, his authority over nature. And we see that beginning in verse 22 down to verse 25. Let me read that as we begin. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And and they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Here Jesus and some of his disciples were told, Get into a boat and head over to the other side of the Lake of Galilee. And as they make their way, we're told Jesus decides to take a bit of a nap, falls asleep. And then suddenly a great windstorm arose filling the boat with water so that the disciples were afraid and feeling as though they were about to perish. So in their fear, they cry out to Jesus for help. Think about that. Some of these were expert fishermen. So you must have known the the intensity of the storm must have been great. To have fishermen that do this job day in and day out by trade, to do this work daily, and they're fearful for their lives on the very sea in which they work. Master, master, we are perishing, they say. And once Jesus is awakened, we see exactly what happens. He immediately rebukes the wind and waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And then he turns to his disciples, and he rebukes them and says, where is your faith? Now, that's an important thing to see, and we're going to see more about that, certainly when we draw some application towards the end. But Where's your faith? He doesn't say that they're entirely faithless, but he does confront them as to why they hadn't exercised faith in that moment. It's clear that in this moment, they lack faith in the power of Jesus to provide. And I think it's safe to say that in some ways, they still have not fully grasped who he is. They still haven't fully grasped who he is. Disciples' response to the storm is fear. And now their response to Jesus is fear. And they marveled. Who is this? He speaks and the wind and waves obey him. There was a great windstorm, a raging of a storm, and now there is calm. You see, as Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he is demonstrating that he is much more than just a prophet, just a teacher. He has authority. But not only does he have authority over creation, he has, number two, authority over demons. And you see that in the next few verses. And picking up in verse 26, we read, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. 
For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had lived in a house, but among the tomb, he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What must you do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding countryside of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged Jesus, or begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So Jesus, after the calming of the storm, they make their way to the other side of the lake from Galilee. And upon arrival, they are met by a demon-possessed man. His parents must have been disturbing. He'd been separated from society for some time, naked, possessed. But upon seeing Jesus, he falls down before him. He cries out, what have you do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. It's interesting here, isn't it? That this demon-possessed man, When you contrast him to the disciples, the difference that you see, it's it's an interesting distinction. While the disciples had just asked, who is this? The demon-possessed man gets it exactly right. What have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. Confessing Jesus to be exactly who he was becomes clear that Jesus, throughout this passage, wasn't merely dealing with a man who was possessed by one demon, but a legion of demons. If you take that literally, legion would refer to thousands. But I think the point we see here is that Jesus wasn't dealing with just one demon, but many, however many there were. Jesus is outnumbered, we could say, but he's not outpowered. We see quite clearly and quite quickly the demon's own perspective about Jesus and his authority as they beg him to not throw them into the abyss. Instead, they request, they ask of Jesus that they could be put into a herd of pigs. They request permission. You see demons in this text requesting permission from Jesus to do something different. They understand that he has authority. They understand that he is sovereign, that he has all power and all control, and they are requesting permission. From Jesus. 
There's quite a response to all this. The herdsmen, the people of the city and the countryside, the man himself who had been delivered. And we're going to see, have, have more to say about these in just a moment. But here, I just want you to see as we walk through this, you see he's calmed a storm with the word. He has cast out a legion of demons from a man. He has authority. Authority over creation, authority over the spiritual world. And number three, you see that he has authority over sickness. Picking up in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only a daughter, for he had only a, an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Jesus went, the people pressed around him. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So Jesus goes out and when he makes his way back, we know that Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, meets him very quickly and urgently because he has a 12-year-old daughter dying. And as Jesus makes his way to visit Jairus' situation with his 12-year-old daughter, he's making his way there, crowds pressing in all around him. And a woman, we're told, kind of a, a, a it's almost like a side note to the, to, the, to the occasion of Jairus and his daughter, and it's almost like a sidebar. But we see here that as he's making his way, a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, 12 years of suffering, no answers, no physicians had any solution for her problem. All in the crowd, crammed in with the rest, she simply reaches out and touches Jesus' garment, and immediately she was healed. Think about what just had happened. For 12 years, this woman had suffered. For 12 years, she had been with a discharge of blood. For 12 years, her doctors had no answers for her. For 12 years, she would have remained ceremonially unclean. But as she reached out and touched Jesus' garment in hope, immediately she was healed. This is an instance where you see a commendation of faith. We see that there at the end in verse 48 where she believes, she places her hope in Christ and is healed. One of the things we see here in this authority over sickness is this miracle demonstrates just how immediate and complete the authority and power of Christ is. She reaches out in faith and immediately she is healed. I think it's also, we could say, and kind of a side note, a great picture of our salvation as well, isn't it? She truly was sick, and she truly was healed. But we are all in some way spiritually like this woman, a condition that no one can resolve, and our only hope is to reach out in faith to Christ to find true healing and restoration. You see, what we're seeing here is is the authority of Jesus is unrivaled. It's unrivaled. So far, nothing has been able to 
overcome his authority. Not a storm, not a legion of demons, not a terrible disease. But let's not forget about Jairus either. His daughter. He was the one who'd reached out for Jesus to help his daughter. But in the meantime, Jesus had been ministering to this woman. And in verse 49, we see that Jesus gets word that Jairus' daughter has indeed died. Pick up in verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell He charged them to tell no one what had happened. Again, you see the scene. Jesus arrives finally at Jairus' house, having already been told she had died, that it's too late. It's evident with the weeping, with the mourning that's going on. And Jesus responds, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And then he takes with him Peter, James, and John and the parents into the home and simply speaks a word. He takes the child by her hand. He calls out to her, and we're told that her spirit returned to her, and she got up at once. Again, this is reinforcing the fact, because you could read that and say, well, maybe she really didn't die. He talks about sleeping, etc. No, she had died. Her spirit had departed, and now we're told it returned to her, that she was resurrected. This act of resurrection, I think, completes the round of illustrations here in this section, pointing to the authority of Christ. It teaches us that Jesus and Jesus alone has authority over all things, over creation, over the spiritual world, over sickness, over life, over death. And therefore, he is the one to be revered and honored and worshipped and treasured, believed. He is the one to which we must bow before and give praise. He has authority. I want us to finish out our time together this morning as we walk kind of back through some of these verses and consider several points of application along the way. We've laid the foundation, just a cursory review. Again, we could dive into each of these and, and do a very detailed study, but I think taking them as a, as a larger unit, as this trilogy of miracles, and we see how just the scope of Jesus' authority pervades all of this as a helpful foundation for us to stand, reinforcing the reason why we should hear and why we should believe. What are some takeaways? Number one, we should have faith in the power of Christ. We should have faith in the power of Christ like the disciples did in the boat. They were confronted with a circumstance that was beyond their control. And they were fearful. Like them, we will often find ourselves at times in the midst of circumstances beyond our control, circumstances that are overwhelming, circumstances that are paralyzing. 
These disciples knew how to handle a boat in a storm. But this storm was so overwhelming and so fierce that these experienced fishermen were truly afraid for their lives. And they did the right thing in their fear. They reached out to Jesus. But it's clear that their thoughts were not on rescue, but death. Master, master, we are dying. Had they known and embraced the Lord's authority in full, they would have known that they and we are never out of the reach of divine care. Friends, we are all prone to unhealthy fear, aren't we? Some of you may be fearful right now. Financial concerns, job situations. Some of you may be truly fearful, whether here or at home, of this virus that's going around. Struggles of all types will often create in us the, the inability to see Christ as we should. Oftentimes, our sight, our vision is more upon the wind and the waves than they are the creator of them. And this is just yet a reminder that our eyes is to be firmly fixed upon Christ. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who has authority over all things. Nothing can outdo him. Nothing can overtake him. And we must trust him. We must believe in him. No matter our circumstances. Brothers and sisters, we must not think for a moment that God is looking the other way. He can, and he must be trusted. This is the very foundation of our hearts. These passages are a call to faith in the powerful Christ. And he rebukes his people when they lack this kind of faith. Where is your faith? Could it be that some, for some of us, that Jesus is asking that very question this morning, where is your faith? You've grown so fearful over your present circumstances, that you've lost any sense of the glory and majesty and beauty and power of Jesus. Trust him. Have faith in the power of Christ. Number two, cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ. I think we see this example in the man with the legion of demons experiencing spiritual oppression in extreme fashion. Yet Jesus commands the demons to leave and they leave. And this man is in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Some say that that's perhaps one of the most powerful verses in this scene. And when the people found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. Friends, sin and Satan continue to wreak havoc in our lives. But listen, there is no havoc There is no oppression, there is no sin that is beyond Jesus' ability to rescue you. He has absolute power over all things, including the spiritual world. He is able to deliver you from all types of spiritual bondage. Whatever may have you down, whatever chains may keep you enslaved, we need to remember that Christ can and does rescue And that we're to cast ourselves upon his mercy, just as this man did, asking for Jesus. He's he's 
confronting Jesus in this scene and he's considering all that's going on in his own life and his separation from society and he approaches Jesus crying out, what have you to do with me? But he cries out with a true confession of who Jesus is and Jesus releases him. And sometimes we need to remember that We are in circumstances at times spiritually that are beyond our control. This is, in fact, our condition before we come to Christ. We are enslaved. We are held captive to sin. And Jesus is the one that can break those chains. He is the one that can break the shackles free so that we can walk in freedom and hope. Cast ourselves upon his mercy. Number three, we testify to the works of Christ. In the case of the demon-possessed man, as well as the woman with the issue of blood, we see how Jesus takes two people, two people plagued by very different problems. He heals them, and they become witnesses for him. The man even wants to join Jesus, the man that was released by the demons, we're told. In verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. He wanted to go back with Jesus. He was begging, like, let me go with you. Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare, testify, witness to the fact, declare how much God has done for you. In the case of the woman, after she touched the fringe of Jesus' garment, Jesus asked for the person to present themselves. Verse 47 tells us, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Do you hear what she did? She declared in the presence of all people what Jesus had done for her. Brothers and sisters, some do very boldly and some do with much trembling. But either way, God delights in us testifying to his power and work. Those who are most transformed often become some of the strongest witnesses for Jesus. I think that could be true for any of us here today. When we have received the, the powerful working of Christ in our lives, we should be compelled to go and tell others. Testifying to the works of Christ, just like this man, just like this woman, declaring all that God has done for us. Sure, those will be in different circumstances, in different contexts, in different ways, in different seasons, but yet all of us in some way, when we have been recipients of grace and recipients of the authority of Christ upon our lives in this way, these kinds of ways, are called to testify to his work. Number four, not only should we testify to the works of Christ, we should trust in the timing of Christ. Listen, if you were Jairus, you'd have probably been pretty upset with Jesus. Just be honest. You just asked Jesus. Jairus had just asked Jesus to come minister to his dying 12-year-old daughter. And he goes, but along the way, he has or makes time for someone else. And he takes, we don't know how long, it seems kind of brief in our text, but I mean, we don't know how long it was that Jesus interacted with the woman with the issue of blood. It could have been quick, it could have been longer, but the point is, the fact that, that 
he stops and ministers to this woman. In the meantime, Jairus' daughter dies. I mean, had you been Jairus, I mean, while he's speaking, verse 49, someone from the ruler's house said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. Can, can you imagine getting that news? Had you been Jairus? While he was ministering to the woman, his daughter dies. I mean, surely his daughter's pending death was more important. If you were to triage these needs, surely the woman who had suffered for 12 years could wait just a little longer. What's a few more hours? We have an urgent request here. Someone is about to perish. Yet in his own wisdom, Jesus responds in his own way and in his own time. He ministers to the woman. Jairus' daughter dies. He knows what he's about to do with her. He raises her, but I think, friends, it's just a reminder to us that we can often struggle with the timing of God in our lives, with the timing of Christ's work in us. And yet we're reminded here that he can be and must be trusted even when things aren't quite working out like we would hope. Trust the timing of Christ. Number five, we should see the unlimited reach of Christ. We see this just all throughout these texts from his trip across the lake to the land of the Gerasenes. This is Gentile territory. To his ministry with Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, to the ministry to the woman. Think about just the contrast between Jairus and this woman since they're in the same scene. Jairus is named, he's a leader of the synagogue, he's known by the people, he's a man of influence. The woman, she's not named, no position in society, ignored by the people, a woman with no influence and unclean from her condition, completely opposite ends of the cultural spectrum. And Jesus serves them both. It's a reminder to us that faith knows no cultural boundary. Jesus avails himself to the rich as well as to the poor, to the Jew as well as to the Gentile, to the male as well as as the female, to the blue collar as well as to the white collar, and on and on we can go. There is no one that is out of the grasp and reach of Christ. Friends, that should encourage us as we all come from various backgrounds and it should inform us even in our own ministry to our community. One thing that we do see in the various responses is is the various responses that people have towards Jesus. You see fear, amazement. Some are fearful and ask him to leave, like the townspeople. Some are fearful and just overwhelmed. Some laugh at him. But some do believe. Friend, this is a reminder to each of you, if you're watching through our live stream or you're here today and you've not trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you've not put your hope and faith in Christ to be the savior of your soul, if you have not put your hope in him and followed him by faith, this is a reminder to us, this is a declaration, this is an announcement through all of these miracles that Christ is the one whom we must believe and must trust and must follow because he has all authority and he has control over all things and he has given himself ultimately as the sacrifice for our sins. You see his unlimited reach. He came for sinners. And then last but not least, we should rest in the hope of Christ. 
The raising of Jairus' daughter is an important statement on God's power to raise from the dead. It's an illustration of what he will do for each of us who are in Christ. We're reminded that death is universal and yet Jesus has power over it. He is the hope for all our souls, and even though we will each face death, we can have confidence that we belong to the one who has conquered it. Death does not have the final say. In fact, he would go on in in his own death, in his own resurrection, demonstrate and declare power and victory over it once and for all. Friends, as we consider these verses As we consider these accounts, the calming of a storm, the healing of a man with demons, the healing of a woman, the raising of a child, these are all testimony. These are all reminders. These are all clarifying illustrations, true events that happen, but yet illustrations pointing to the fact that Jesus is the one who is over all things. Friends, there are so many voices crying out for your allegiance today. So many voices crying for your allegiance. But there is only one who is worthy of such allegiance. And it is this Christ. He is the one. He is the one who calms. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who restores. He is the one who raises from the dead. Therefore, he must be trusted and he must be followed. Jesus is the one with all authority. Look to him. Rest your life and your cares in his sovereign hands. And know that he is worthy of it all. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this great word that you have revealed to us this morning. Lord, as we have taken a a wider look at it, considering these miraculous events that took place in the ministry of Christ. Father, we thank you that you have taught us and reminded us and shown us what is true concerning Jesus. Father, my prayer today is that if there are those who are here that are not trusting in him, that they would be drawn to him in faith today, that they would see from these passages exactly who Jesus is and why he must be believed and why he must be trusted. Father, would you work faith in their hearts and would you call them to yourself in a glorious and triumphant way? Father, for believers that are present here today and through our live stream, I I pray for our faith to be increased, strengthened, our hope more joyful, that as we hear these texts today, that we would just be reminded yet again of the glory of Christ and that we would fall down in obedience and of worship of him, and that we would spend all our days not wasting moments, but yet living with joy and worship of this great one who gave himself for us. So, Father, we thank you for these reminders this morning. We thank you for your word. Would you continue to use it in our lives to call us to faith, call us to obedience for your glory? And our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.